Seahawks fans wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstad, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome into the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfstead, here with Keith Myers, and we're talking Seahawks football. And um, welcome into the show, man. Good to, good to see you. Good to have you on again for like the 228th consecutive week. Yeah, uh, 228 consecutive weeks. That's um, that's a lot of weeks. It really is. Yeah, we're we're yeah we're almost related at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we got a we got a fun show this week. This one's gonna be a blast. Yeah. So yeah, we just kind of created this just to kind of get get through the doldrums of summer, which we're now beginning to to uh, to get into. And um, it's our Seahawks top five list, and we've created a, a couple of different categories and a, and a team list that we will go through at, at the end, uh, where Keith put together his players. I put together mine. We're coming together on the show, comparing notes, maybe have a few debates and um, mostly just a lot of fun, just kind of going back to, to memory lane. And this would be a good show for um, for some of our listeners and other fans that uh, were just born in the last 20, 25 years. Some of these guys that we're going to be talking about go all the way back. And um, so it'd be mm-hmm. good to kind of refresh some folks memory um, on some players uh, from the distant past that uh, really had a, a nice effect on the franchise overall. So I think we're going to start with our personal favorite Seahawk players of all time, top five. Um, you go first, Keith. Are you going to try to do reverse order? Or do you yeah, have we'll any see, order we'll, at all? No, let's do reverse order and let's, 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 let's go back and forth. So I'll do my five and then you do your five and then we'll, we'll do that. Um, sure. And then if there's any overlap, we can we can talk about it that way. So and we and we also have a, a few just missed that we might want to talk about. Yeah, too. there's some obvious ones over uh, there. So when, when doing favorites, like this wasn't meant to be the best, right? Um, this was those guys that we just have like really fun, fond memories of. That for some reason they were just guys we rooted for, even if they weren't the best player. Um, and so, yeah, I'll get it, get you started. Um, mine is a, a fullback for, at number five, um, John L. Williams. Uh, this guy it was a, by today's standards, you're, we were talking before the show, and here you're like, oh, he was more of a, in, in today's standards, just a big running back. Um, he ran the ball. He caught the ball out of the backfield. In fact, he, um, yeah, he was the, great led the that. team in receptions a couple times um, as a fullback. Um, but he did block, he did lead block. He did, um, blitz pick up. He did, uh, those kind of things, but he was re- a really good receiver, just a completely versatile guy. Mm-hmm. And oddly a first round draft pick as a fullback, which I, I, I'm always amazed that that, that ever happened. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was, you know, when, when he was playing he played from like 86 to what, ninety four or something like that, like mm-hmm. eight years, I think in Seattle, a couple years, uh, with, with another ball club. But when he was in Seattle, it was kind of a shock because he was the fullback. Right. And, um, when he started 
running the ball a lot and then he started catching the ball a lot, you were like, what's up with this? Because this is kind of unusual to have a fullback kind of take a prominent role in, in your offense. And he really, like you said, he really kind of wasn't a fullback. He was more of a, a large running back who could block in key situations. But he was really, um, I think he was like 5'11", uh, 235 or something like mm-hmm. that. So not huge for a fullback. And um, he could really move, really get out in space and, and juke some guys. You mentioned the reception part. He was like, um, he averaged like 50 to 70 receptions every year, Yeah, um, which was just crazy. So he had like four, you know, 4,600 yards over his career and um, averaged 8.5 yards, had 19 touchdowns. Uh, you mentioned the running. He was also, you know, really decent at running the ball he averaged probably six seven hundred yards a season on 125 you know rushing attempts um which is a great average um for that guy yeah totally i he's one of my favorite guys he wasn't on my list but he's he's in that conversation absolutely for sure because you know during at the time that he was playing definitely one of the favorite seahawks that was that was uh that was on offense at the time Cool. Who's your number five? All right. And we'll do the, the, we'll do the not just miss after that. Yep. My number five guy, and it's so hard. There's just so many, but my number five guy, believe it or not, might be your closer to your top is Cortez Kennedy, defensive tackle, mm-hmm. uh, an entire 11 season career with, with the Seahawks pro football hall of fame. Um, you know, almost 700 tackles, 58 sacks, even had three interceptions, just a beast in the middle for that team during some really bad years. And so one thing that you could always look forward to when he played was, was him. Um, and everything else you just kind of forget about because, the, you know, during the 90s when he was on the team, the, the team just was not very good and uh, didn't get to the playoffs. He may have gone to the playoffs once, maybe. Um, and then um, to the Pro Bowl a few times. And uh, that was the highlight of about 10 years worth of Seahawks football. He um, is fourth on the team's like career sack list. So only three players have more sacks. And this is a guy that played defensive tackle. Mm. Um, so not a defensive end. Uh, but he was a guy that could get after the quarterback up the middle so quick, so fast, and and not he's not like the undersized guy that, that, um, you know, gets the, that stuff. He was, he was huge. Um, and still, uh, a guy that could get up field and, um, and destroy quarterbacks. And that was, he was really kind of the first interior guy to be known as a pass rusher that had to be feared and had to be accounted for and double teamed on every play. Yeah. That's always fun too when you know when you're a just beginning franchise and you get players that come along that are just special that that obviously are the best that that ever came along in your franchise history, even though it's a short history at that point. Um, is it is exciting for a fan, especially like I said, when you go through those years where there's just not a lot to cheer for and you get a, a single then you start cheering for single players and single game performances and you know young guys and it's just part of the way the franchise kind of grows up and he was definitely a part of that. Okay, um, my number four uh, is another Hall of Famer. I know, um, but Steve Largent, 
Mm. And I, I, I'm not sure how anyone who's been a fan as long as you have, or I have, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't at least consider him. I mean, he, he was one of the best to ever play the game, had all sorts of records that Jerry Rice beat. Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, the, the key thing about Steve was when he broke those records, he was the guy. Yeah. He was the, he was the record holder, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so at he the, had all at those the time, re- yeah. all those records. And then, you know, Jerry Rice came along uh, and a lot of, a lot of those kind of records are today are, are falling just simply because there's a lot more passing yards out there. There's a lot more receiving yards to be had. Uh, yep. Couple this, extra he, games. You know, he said he would join the team when the team formed 1976 played to 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, but here was the thing that when I was, you know, researching this, so he has almost, he's, he has the most receiving yards in franchise history. Still to this day. Oh, not only that, he's almost twice as much as number two. His 13,089 receiving yards, number two is 7,620. And is that Daryl Jackson? No. No? Daryl Jackson's fourth. Oh, okay. Interesting. But I don't, um, I don't, I don't want to talk about two and three because okay. that's another conversation. Yeah. yeah Other players no. that deserve to be talked about. <laughs> well, I had uh, Steve as number three on my list. Um, he was the first uh, Seahawk that I probably fell in love with, right? As a kid, uh, I started going to games when I was 11 years old and, um, and he was the guy that I was looking forward to going and seeing. now him and Steve, uh, um, uh, Jim Zorn were just quite a combo, you know, back in that day, both young, uh, and, um, took chances and made crazy plays. And Steve was a wizard. You know, just bottom line, he was amazing at getting open, turning guys around, creating um, mismatches just by the discipline that he had in his route running and by his imagination, um, where he could catch guys at the exact moment they became out of sync or out of step or put one foot planted into the ground. He would take that opportunity to completely change direction. And it was um, not unusual to see Steve with 10 or 15 yards of separation on a, on a defensive back in single coverage. That was, um, became the norm. And talk about sticky hands. This guy could catch anything, anything. And he did it without gloves. It was all his hands. And um, he was just a crazy, unique player, you know? And he, he, he led the league in receiving yards fast. a couple of years. He wasn't fast. He, he ran like a, a four or five Yep. He wasn't Five, overly maybe. fast. He wasn't overly tall. He wasn't overly physical. Mm-hmm. Except for the hit on Harden. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> but then. And if um, anybody has a chance, go out and, and look at the Mike Harden video with Steve Largent. That's just an amazing series of events in a season. You know, when Mike Harden hit him, kind of blindsided Steve in a, in a game in um, Denver. And. The ball popped out. Steve Largent actually lost two teeth in that situation. And, but he stayed on the ground for a little while and then he came off the field and he got back in the game. But like nine weeks later, Denver was visiting the Seahawks and Steve made sure that he took an opportunity to have a clean hit on Mike Harden after he intercepted the ball and jarred that ball loose in a fumble on a the extremely physical hit and got his payback. And I totally respect that. 
Yeah. One of those things. So he like, yeah, not overly tall, fast, physical, um, but was so good that uh, it, he was described as trying trying to cover him as like trying to cover air. Yeah. You just it, you can't it can't be done. Oh, his nickname was Yoda. So yeah, true true story. <laughs> okay, so, so that my was, number four. Your number four. Yeah, my number four is Marshawn Lynch. Nice. Running back Marshawn Lynch. Um, you know, it wasn't about the yards with Marshawn. It wasn't about his stats. He's got great stats. They look great on paper. 10,000 plus yards, a bunch of receptions. But it's um, it's not what made him remarkable. What made Marshawn Lynch remarkable was the way that he ran the ball. Um, anytime that you saw Marshawn Lynch run the ball, um, you didn't have to see the name on the back of the jersey to know who it was. He had this big, huge, wide gate, almost bull-legged, with, with this base that was unrivaled in any run, other running back, and balance and power. And he put it all together with an attitude. And um, he was just, uh, he was amazing. You know, he was amazing um, that, that I think puts him at the, at the very pinnacle of, of all the running backs that have ever played for Seattle just sets him apart as a, a player and a guy that you really enjoyed watching play the game, you know, and, and just the, the, like Beastquake and Beastquake 2 are, are two prime examples of a longer run that exemplified how he ran the ball every time he touched the ball. So every time he touched the ball, he wasn't going to get those breakout runs all the time, um, but he would run the same way no matter what. And so that's, that was that was amazing to me, and like the um, the beast quake, you know, that run, that singular run, was probably the best run I've ever seen from any running back um, in the history of watching football. Um, just the the breaking of ten tackles, the 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 the, the point in which the game, um, in when when he did it in the playoffs, and to when the game was kind of on the line, we had a, a small lead, but we needed a sustained drive to kind of put the new Orleans uh, team away. And, and he came up with this run and, and the stiff arm like three quarters of the way down the field was the single greatest stiff arm I've ever seen in my life where he just <laughs> literally ejected a football player and threw him to the side, like 10 yards away, like boom. And you know, Mike Mayock was like, get off me. I was like, that's the greatest comment that you could say about a running back. It's like, get off me. And, and the dive into the end zone and the celebration and the win that got, you know, Seattle, you know, a step further into being Seattle. Like after that, Marshawn Lynch was the physical uh, identity of that team, not only on offense, but on defense too, where that he was the guy. So that's, that's, that's number four for me, but he could have been higher. Yeah. Um, and Steve Largent was number three for me. Yep, Just. and Ted Cortez Kennedy was number number three for me. So we've actually done um, both of our um, top three. So we'll just skip ahead to number two. Um, my number two, the Enforcer, uh, Kenny Easley. Wow, uh, strong safety. Um, you want to talk about a guy that just killed people for a living? I mean. Um, <laughs> You know, we all know like all the Cam Chancellor hits because they're more recent, um, where he just would he would destroy people who came over the middle. Ken easily did that, you know, uh, almost twenty years before. 
Um, yeah. Now in the Hall of Fame, uh, got a, you know kind of a late entry into it, uh, but man, guys were afraid of him, and he, he played in an era where it didn't matter. Um, you know, it wasn't a penalty if you launched into someone and tried to decapitate him. <laughs> and um, he goes, okay, and he decapitated a few people. Well, uh, he was big for his his era. You oh, know, yeah, he was he tall, was. like 6'3", 205 pounds. He just looked like a linebacker at the time. You know, everyone was a little smaller than they are today. Um, so a guy like that really stood out. And um, and the fact that he just played so physical and, and had such athleticism, you know, and they didn't do all the measurables that they do now. We just have no idea what he would have done in those agility drills or, you know, a vertical leap and all that kind of stuff. Back then... He just played football, and if you look good on tape, you look good, and uh, that was that was the deal. And um, you know his his career was was just short, you know, and and um, it, at what seven years, mm-hmm. eight years, something like that. Um, and it's uh, he played in such a physical way, and and had uh, killer ball instincts, kind of a ball hawk mentality, and and a decapitator. You know, he would decapitate yep. an offense just to intimidate you to make sure that you didn't go over the middle for the rest of the game. That kind of a player. He didn't do it in a dirty hit way. He did it in a legal hit, physical way to send a message that this was going to be a tough game for you. Yeah. And um, three-time All-Pro in 83, 84, and 85. Um, had 10 interceptions in 84, which I think is just crazy for a strong safety. Yeah. Um, well, that year overall for the Seahawks, interception-wise. Was, was insane. Yes. Why anyone, you know, threw in his... In, I mean, uh, you look at and, him and Dave Brown and Harris and, and, and a couple other guys um, that had their hand in that. Was mm-hmm. that, that was one of the most remarkable years for interceptions. I think they even had like five interceptions with three of them returned for touchdowns against Kansas City that year. So... Yeah, and, and and his career was short. It was you know seven years, um, and then the team traded him, but he never ended up with the other team because in the physical uh, that was part of it, they figured out that you know all of the anti-inflammatories the key the team had been given him to eat like candy um, had destroyed like uh, his kidney and. You know, it was a big rift between him and the team mm-hmm. for a long time. And it's been recently, you know, they've kind of come back together and, and he's been celebrated more and, and mm-hmm. you know, they've kind of made amends. But because um, the team did not do right by him. But he, when he was here, man, we, what a fantastic player. What a fun player to watch. I mean, all the things that we, like I said, all the things we liked about Cam Chancellor, right, um, easily was the same guy in an era where you were allowed to hit people more. So yeah. he did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he bred kind of a player like uh, Ronnie Lott, mm-hmm. for example. Um, Ronnie Lott came right after him and played for San Francisco and was kind of the same sort of player and had arguably more uh, media coverage and so forth because of the Super Bowls that he was able to go into and so forth. But um, Kenny Easley was a better player than yeah. Ronnie Lott. Ronnie Lott had more media coverage. He had more, you know, they started keeping stats on tackles and all that stuff after Kenny easily stopped playing. And so, um, you know, yeah. 
So, um, I love I love that favorite player pick. That's, and that's and you know Ronnie Lott's actually one of the big reasons why Easley got um, uh, put in the Hall of Fame because he started campaigning for Kenny Easley, and was like, "No, this guy was better than me. Go watch him. Go watch some tape of him playing. He belongs here." Mm-hmm. And basically, kind of put it on the you know the voters that they missed they'd missed on Kenny Easley and got him you know, uh, into the hall of fame and, and hats off to Ronnie lot for that. Cause that's awesome. So my number two overall is offensive tackle, Walter Jones. Ooh, good one. Um, he played his entire career with the Seattle Seahawks, seven time, all pro all decade team, um, 180 games started all 180. Um, he, they had, uh, over 5,500 pass attempts while he was left tackle. Um, and he gave up 23 sacks. And like, and them were in the, his final he was year. only penalized nine times for holding. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a pro football hall of fame. First year. First ballot. Eligibility yep. inductee. And um, when you watched Walter Jones play, you watched the left tackle play. Like, how many times do you catch yourself during now? Don't answer this, Keith. This I, is for yeah. our audience. <laughs> How many <laughs> times do you catch yourself uh, watching a left tackle play? You know, downs against against a team. Um, if there was a matchup that uh, where where another team had a, a great defensive end, um, you could watch Walter Jones for the entire game because it was just a master level performance of a guy um, dictating terms to a premier guy on the other side of the ball. Yeah, it and didn't matter who it was. Crazy. It, was. Yeah. it didn't matter who no, it was. No, it really did not. He was locked down. Locked and, down. And and the 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 greats, the Hall of Famers that, you know, they played against Seattle and he shut him down. Um yeah. I believe the you know, the greatest left tackle to ever play the game. And I know that I'm biased because being yeah. from Seattle and there are there are, are others that um legitimately have uh a claim to that, but just Jones was so good. He was just, it's, it's, we don't, we were so spoiled in Seattle with Walter Jones that after his knee kind of forced him into retirement, we didn't know what good was mm-hmm. because and we're um, still trying to find it. <laughs> I mean, Dwayne know, hats off to Dwayne Brown, but yeah, he's not but, Walter Jones, but you're right. He's not Walter Jones. And even, um, Russell Okun was pretty damn good, mm-hmm. um, and continues to be, yeah. uh, but Nobody cared. We're like, whatever, because compared to Jones, they were, he was so much better than them, but they're, you know, these are guys that made pro bowls, right? Yeah. Well, and I guarantee too, on so, those 23 sacks that he gave up, like half of those were probably because the left guard had made a mistake or had allowed his player, you know, too much penetration. Jones was trying to, slide over a little bit and help or something like that. Right. Cause this mm-hmm. guy was just all focused all the time. Like he just was not going to allow anybody else to beat him. And he had unconventional ways of training. Like he would pull his, uh, escalade in the off season with a rope or push it. If he could find somebody that, that would, that would sit in the, you know, and steer. Um, 
he's just one of those guys where it's just kind of kind of crazy. So that was my number two. Keith, who's your number one favorite Seahawk player of all time? Um, and this one will probably get um, some comments from the uh, the YouTube commenters because I know <laughs> I'm, I'm not particularly popular with them. Um, Richard Sherman. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and I, which is, you know, you, you talked about, I I am the offensive line guy. It's I'm the favorite. offensive guy or line guy, and I don't have an offensive lineman on here, but Richard Sherman was much, mu- must see TV. Mm. He was, he was loud. He was brash. He was constantly trash talking. He was in everyone's face, but he also backed that up with all pro level play. And he pissed off so many receivers because the best of the league would line up against him and lose. And he was so fun to watch. He yeah. is the football equivalent of Gary Payton um, <laughs> in, in basketball, just That's constantly funny. talking and constantly dominating. And I loved every second of it. Um, I was sad to see him go. I get mm-hmm. it from a football standpoint and a financial standpoint. Um, I hope that he, you know, gets healthy and, and, and gets to continue to play somewhere. But um, when he was in Seattle, there wasn't anyone, there wasn't anyone that was more fun. Um, that is so true. So he, he yeah. is my favorite. So who is your yeah. number one favorite? Well, he was, he was definitely on my mom's list. Like if my mom made a list, Richard Sherman <laughs> would be on that list. because She just loved him. Yep. Um, and, and I did too. I mean, who, what's not to like, if he's on your team, you're going to love Richard Sherman. If he's, if he's not, not on, on your team, team you're going to hate him. He pisses you off. <laughs> 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 it's just the way it, way it is. I mean, mm-hmm. think about how vilified he was with the 49ers before he went to the 49ers after they love him. They, they get him, you know, it's just like Pete Carroll. People didn't get Pete Carroll. Uh, when he landed in Seattle, even the Seattle people were like, I don't know about Pete Carroll. He was from the enemy USC. And he comes in and he proves himself and he does the Pete Carroll thing and everyone loves him. Um, all right. So my number one overall all time for me is quarterback Russell Wilson. And I, um, I was actually expecting that from you. I, I don't think it's premature to put him on. Well, this is my personal favorite, so it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> I don't think it's premature to have him as being on, on the top of this list already. I think he's earned it. I think that he's an amazing player to watch. I think he changes the game by himself. Um, and it's just, it's it's more of a, it's a factor of everything that he does and represents from um, the stats for him really only tell half the story about Russell Wilson. Um, overcoming the odds with his, his height and being drafted in the third round and having Seattle uh, already paid a, a quarterback in Flynn in the offseason uh, to come and compete with that. He wins that competition. Uh, the win versus Chicago that year, the three straight um, massive wins uh, on the, you know, uh, down the stretch in December with the, statistically, I think we won like 55 to nothing against one team and on and on and on. And then the, uh, the almost comeback in Atlanta that year after we went to Washington and beat, um, uh, RG three. Yep. Um, and then they, in, they actually did come back, took the lead and then the defense gave the, up. The, correct. Okay. In the 36 seconds. Nice clarification. Yes. So you're saying you, you, you made the qualifier that it's not premature and all of that. Um, so 
uh, Pro Football Reference, right, which is the fantastic site out there if you mm-hmm. want stats, if you want to compare things or whatnot, has a, um, a thing they call approximate value, which basically just it takes stats and, and different things and Pro Bowls and All Pros and, and kind of compresses them into a single number. Um, and they tr- they've tried to normalize it across positions. And so um, it's just, you know, their approximate value. Russell Wilson is the number one player in Seahawks history with an approximate value of 148. Steve Largent's number two at 140. Wow. So you want him to, you know, you don't need to justify him being like, no, or sorry, you need to qualify it. Right. Um, The most impactful player in the history of a franchise that has multiple guys in (laughs) the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And hopefully, you know, fingers crossed that the contract crap works out and he's here for a long time. But, um, you know, second year or first year rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, second year uh, Super Bowl champion, went to -to back-to-back Super Bowls. um, And just the wizardry in which he plays and the clutch performances and the preciseness of his game like when he throws the ball like the the moonshot um or or the spin or the double spin pirouette mm-hmm. play against arizona where he's falling backwards throws the ball up to um to baldwin you think it's kind of just a throw up kind of a desperation thing but he's really trying to make that throw at that precise spot for baldwin to, to catch it you know and then the um, the back of the moon uh, the, the moon shot to uh, to lock it, which just dropped into a window about six inches wide, literally. And then the the toe drag, you know, in the back of the end zone to lock it. I think are just exemplify kind of the the nature in which he can get get it done and 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 how clutch he is. So or the, yeah. the him throwing uh, the game winner in overtime in the NFC Championship game against mm. uh, Green Bay to Jermaine curse into the tight, the guy was straight up covered. There was, there was no separation. The defensive back was in his hip pocket. And so Wilson had already thrown like four interceptions in the first half in that game. And to be able to have three of them bounced off, three of them bounced off um, Jermaine curse's hands. Talk about like no memory on the quarterback. Right. And, a redemption situation for Jermaine curse. Like yeah, that was absolutely. made for TV moment in Seahawks history. It yeah. Was just it, just, it was, it was crazy. And just that, that pass, you know, basically we, we said, you know, we call them dimes because, you know, you're throwing, you're trying to hit a target, a target, the smalls, a dime. Mm. there was no target. He had to drop that in exactly perfectly. If it was another inch longer, it doesn't get caught. If it's inch shorter, it gets broken up. Like there is no margin for error on that throw, and it was perfect. So I have um, I have a short list of three just missed my list players. Mm-hmm. I'll just rattle them off really quick. Uh, defensive back Eugene Robinson. Yep. Um, who's also on another list I have, and so then uh, Bobby Wagner and Joe Nash. Those are good. Those are good names. Um, yeah, those those are good names, and they belong on a list. Like, if I didn't have those guys on a list, it would be a shame because each one of those guys um, was was amazing. Eugene Robinson. Um, here's a guy that's uh, that most Seahawks fans born in the last thirty years haven't even heard of. 
like, you know, there's just not a lot of mention about Eugene Robinson and so forth in, in the history of the Seahawks. So the, he was the running mate of Kenny Easley. He yeah. was the, he was the other well, and John safety. Harris too. John yeah. Harris was, was a free safety when, when Kenny Easley was back there too, for the last part of Kenny Easley's uh, mm-hmm. career. But um, yeah, he was, uh, you know, as an undrafted free agent, Keith spent his first 11 season with the Seahawks and he ended his um, Seahawks as the second all-time leading tackler and second interceptions. And overall he had 57 interceptions and uh, 22 fumble recoveries and a um, couple touchdowns. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. You know, it's, it's a remarkable career. He ended up going on and having a couple Super Bowl appearances, one of which is infamous for um, a character situation with him mm-hmm. and a lack of performance because he didn't have any sleep the night before. So he probably doesn't want us to talk about that. But um, regardless, football-wise, he's, he's one of my favorite guys to watch. And, of course, Bobby Wagner um, will ultimately probably end up being on the main list um, and deserves to be there, quite frankly. You know, he's, he's one of those players. And then uh, Joe Nash, he's on another list, so I'll talk about him in a little bit. But he was one of those guys that spent his entire career with Seattle. And um, it was a long career. career. 15 years and um, 218 career games. And damn near started and played in every single one of them. And played nose tackle. At nose tackle. And had 47 and a half sacks as just an undersized guy that's undrafted. Yeah. That's what makes him a favorite. Like yep. he went up and beyond his position when he came onto the team, proved himself and endeared himself and earned it every bit of it. Yep. So um, my just missed um, you're ta- you're you're talking about Bobby Wagner. I'm like, how is he not on here? Uh, I feel bad actually because <laughs> I missed that one. Yeah. Um, but Sean Alexander. Very, very, he's um, un, yeah, he's on my un, unappreciated. Yep. Very underappreciated. He was so fun to watch. I know at the end he got a little, I would run, he run out of bounds instead of mm. touching someone. And, and there was a little bit of that, but there was also the year when he had 29 touchdowns and, um, mm-hmm. and, and made the uh, MVP. Yeah. Was the MVP. I and mean, the, the, there was, there was some greatness in there. Um, there, there was, yep. yeah. He just wouldn't have been a Pete Carroll running back. Oh, definitely not. Um, and but he was a Mike Holmgren running running back, and that's yeah. all that mattered. All right. uh, so, Marshawn Lynch, who didn't make my list, but he, God, he was hard to, to keep off that yeah. list. Yeah. it's you know when you're talking about Lynch. five all time in a franchise, it's tough. Especially yeah, and and so it's it's there, um, and Doug Baldwin you, you, is yeah. my oh, third. Oh, Doug Baldwin, yeah. And, yeah, and I mean, I'm one. sorry. Like I, he was an undrafted. I know again, it's, it's recency bias. People are going to be like, Oh, you know, it's just cause he's more recent. The stuff he did at the line of scrimmage to get separation, mm. especially against the press. I don't know if I've seen anyone better at generating separation at the line of scrimmage. Um, than Doug Baldwin, he was, it was, it was a, wizardry it was just insanity of the stuff that he was able to do the moment the ball was snapped um 
wasn't the fastest guy, you know, bigger guy, whatever, but he had tons of acrobatic, crazy, like just <laughs> insane catches that you're like, how, how did that happen? Um, and you, you pair that with his ability to beat the press better than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. And it was, I'm, that's why was I'm so looking much. forward to looking, uh, taking a look at DS Scridge because mm-hmm. his hand fighting and technique off the line of scrimmage is unreal. Like you're yeah. going to really enjoy that. All right, so the next list we did was favorite non-Seahawk NFL players of all time. And I have to tell you, this was one of my favorite lists that I put together because it gave me an opportunity to refresh my memory on just how great some of these NFL players have been over the course of history and and, and my evolution of uh, as a fan, not only a Seahawk fan, but just a fan of football and watching some of these guys uh, over time. And, and, there, and one player in particular I didn't have a chance to watch. Um, that I wanted to definitely mention because later on he became my favorite. Cool. Um, I'm going to go backwards like we did before. Okay. You start this time. Good. All right. Um, And I have a good, to just miss list too. I really (laughs) do. In fact, the guy that I just mentioned was on, on my just miss list. Um, Number five, Walter Payton. Um, One of the greatest running backs I've ever seen. They, they called him sweetness for a reason Mm -hmm. because of his speed balance and power. And he was way more physical than he's been given credit for. Everyone thinks that Walter Payton is a guy that's so good and so smooth that he's a guy that wants to step out of bounds a la um, Sean Alexander. No, 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 no. This guy was a guy that sought out contact. And when he got it, he punished you. And he was great speed guy. And, uh, there was no stepping out of bounds with this guy. He did not avoid contact. Um, he's, he's a prolific rusher. I think when he retired, he ended up holding all of the major career rushing uh, leading uh, stats, um, as well as um, carries, yards from scrimmage, all-purpose yards, all that kind of stuff. Had a ton of receptions, most receptions by a non-receiver in NFL history, eight career touchdown passes as well. Um, just throwing the ball out of the backfield. And um, he was in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in, in 93 and unfortunately uh, no longer with us. And um, he, he has the namesake of the Walt, Walter Payton Man of the Year, which was awarded to Russell Wilson this last year. Yeah, no. Um, and go watch some highlights. Widely considered the greatest of all time. Like, it, when people say that, nobody debates it. Like... Um, yeah, there are other people that want to stake claim to that, but it's like, it's no one goes, no, no one ever argues against Walter Payton. It's pro someone else, right? You can't argue against Walter Payton. There's nothing that he did that wasn't great, period. So I'm with you on that. Um, so non-Seahawk, uh, my number five, Sterling Sharp. Wow. Wide receiver. I've met Sterling Sharp before. Really? Yeah, I did. I actually um, met him in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. His brother almost made this list, too. Um, uh, but Sterling Sharp, so this is a guy kind of like Easley, um, had a short career, um, seven years, um, but was a three-time All-Pro in that. Just And his brother was uh, Shannon Sharp, and he was a tight end for yep, Denver a lot Broncos. Of, a couple of different teams, but yeah. Um, and Shannon Sharp was was also fantastic, but um, 
you know, just look at, at the, at the reception totals. And, you know, in 92, he had 108 receptions. Nobody had a hundred receptions back then. Uh, in 93, he had a hundred, he broke his own record with 112. Like this is when, you know, and this isn't a big receiver or anything like that. He's a six foot guy. Yeah, he was, he, but he, he was uncoverable. Um, and just, you know, just a fantastic player. And then, you know, of course gets hurt and, and his career ends, poof, 94 is finally year. Yeah. He played Um, every game, you know, in in that career, even mm -hmm. though it was short, he played, uh, he started every game and, and played in every game that he ever was in. So he, he never missed a game. Um, 18 touchdowns, his final season. And, you know, only 94 receptions, but that's, of course, when he got hurt and, and that, you know, ended his career. But, uh, man, he was fun to watch because he he was like it was like watching um, nice. it was like watching Steve Largent, but later. So he got to he were you're in a more pass friendly um, uh, league and guy was just at times just uncoverable. Yeah. So this player is um, it could have been my number one. Like, um, it, it's, he's remarkable. And that's a linebacker, Lawrence Taylor. Um, he's literally the beast mode of a defensive defense. Uh, Mm -hmm. he's, he would be like, if he was playing today, he would be Pete Carroll's perfect strong side linebacker, Leo. Um, if, if, if people kind of imagine that sort of a player, only he was on steroids. Like this guy was seriously legit the best player at that position to ever play the game. Um, he's the exact prototype that Pete Carroll wants to have on his team and searches for to, to be able to take that position. Given the era that he played, he probably was on steroids <laughs> since that was, you know, a, that was probably. a problem. Well, uh, you know, the, the other <laughs> thing that freaked me out when I was doing this research was uh, <laughs> Keith uh, LT turned 62 years old this year. Oh God. I know. God. Okay, so uh, you talk about uh, let's let's talk about uh, Jadavian Clowney taking over the um, that one game against the 49ers in 2019. That was Lawrence Taylor every game. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to kind of put it in perspective, like everyone still talks about that Clowney game like it was something special. No, that was pretty well typical for what Lawrence Taylor brought to a game uh, on on a daily basis. And there are great players who play well, and then there are the greatest players to ever play the game that just take over. And that was Lawrence Taylor, you know, 6'3", 245, the most physical linebacker or, or edge rusher guy that I've ever seen play. Um, just the killer speed and explosiveness of um, and killer instincts of Jamal Adams, only 245 pounds and six, nearly 6'4". Um, and, and, but he played with the same sort of speed and explosiveness and instincts that Jamal does when he rushes the passer and so forth. It just to see that in a, in a very large human being is just on another level. So. Okay. Um, my number four, I didn't even realize this when I was making the list, um, is another Packer, which is weird because I'm not a huge fan of the Packers just in general. Um, but he didn't just play for the Packers. Uh, Reggie White, defensive mm-hmm. end. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. He's, my, he's my number two. Oh, good to know. Um, absolutely dominant player, rushed the passer as good as anyone in the history of, of the NFL, but mm-hmm. also was an elite run defender, um, team leader, just 
everything about him was was easy. Do you realize that he wasn't even drafted into the NFL? Uh, yeah, how he was drafted uh, into the um, AFL the or AFL. whatever they call the the Memphis Showboats. He played there for two years, and then they had a supplemental draft in '84 that he came in. Yeah, and played for the for the Philadelphia Eagles, I believe, yep. to start, and then he he had his claim to fame with Green Bay. So, yeah, just great, yeah. great, great player. Three time, uh, thirteen time Pro Bowler and thirteen time All Pro, mm. <laughs> Reggie White. You know. Thir- Thirteen time All Pro, yeah, and he's he's got yeah. 198 career sack, 198. That's only behind Bruce Smith's two 200. 200. That's just incredible to me. Bruce, that's that's crazy. Bruce Smith is um, also on my list. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, I don't blame you. I mean, that's a fun player to watch. Yep. All right. Um, number. Th- Three on my list is just out of nowhere for most people, but there's a few folks that will absolutely get this. Uh, quarterback Fran Tarkington. Mm. Uh, now, remember, this He's is Russell a, Wilson before Russell Wilson. Exactly. This is an NFL list um, that's an NFL list of my favorite players. So uh, not all-time greats or whatever, but he is in that conversation as being an all-time great. Um, and at the time of his retirement, he was had owned every major – quarterback record uh of the modern era um 18 seasons uh he had you know 47,000 yards uh 342 touchdowns um those were both records at the time they seem you know marginal right now you know but they're still kind of top 10 ish um and um eighth in, in regular season wins all time to this day um I just, but, but what it was with Fran Tarkington for me was that I'm left-handed and Fran Tarkington was left-handed. And when I was growing up before the Seahawks, my dad's favorite team was the Minnesota Vikings. And so we would watch Fran Tarkington play and I would go out in the backyard with all my buddies and we would play football and I would be the quarterback and I would scramble around and I would fling the ball all over the place, just like Fran Tarkington. So he was my first kind of you know, my, my, my guy that I emulated my game after and wanted to be Fran Tarkington. So that was, that was that. Yeah. His, his scrambling and improv, improv, improvisation and, and just his ability to just piss off pass rushers because they couldn't tackle him. Uh, yeah. He was Russell Wilson before Russell Wilson. Yeah. And we're um, talking, you know, late sixties to, um, to about eight seventy eight or so when yep. he retired. So uh, what a fun player. Um, so my number three, we, we already mentioned him, um, uh, Bruce Smith, another defensive end, played for Buffalo. Um, wow. I mean, 200 curse acts, most yeah. in NFL history, um, was fantastic speed rusher, um, bull rusher. He could move inside. He could really rush from anywhere. Um, but was, you know, kind of known as more of as a speed rusher on the outside because he was really good at it. And then, um, you know, hurt a knee and came back and was, you know, playing. And they're like, well, he, you know, at first he, he, he wasn't a hundred percent when he came back and started playing and they were like, he doesn't have the speed or the flexibility. He's going to be any good. And instead he just went right through people and, and showed everyone that his bull rush was just as good as his speed rush. 
And everyone's like, oh, well, there's that. Um, he really, had 13 years of double-digit sacks. Yeah. And and during those double digits, they were often closer to 15 instead of, you know, 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, it was crazy the way that he could get to the quarterback. Yeah, he was the defensive um, linchpin of that defense that went to three straight Super Bowls. They lost all three of them, mm-hmm. but they went to three mm-hmm. straight Super Bowls. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, he was a monster. He was a guy that you couldn't block. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you tried because every defensive game plan or offensive game plan was to neutralize Bruce Smith and they couldn't do it. And no one, yeah, no one ever did it. So are we num- at number one? No, that was uh, my number three. Oh, well, you had my number two at uh, Reggie White. Okay. So um, can um, I do my number two? Uh, yeah. Yep. Barry Sanders. Yep. He's my number one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead and, and talk about Barry Sanders then. Oh, dude. Barry Sanders. He's like the Juke Master 5000 model, right? Mm-hmm. He just was one of those guys that was so entertaining to watch. So, um, you know, it wasn't about when you watched a, a Detroit Lions game, it wasn't about the yards. It wasn't about, you know, he's going to take over a game or whatever. It was seriously to watch Barry Sanders entertain you. Um, the stop, start, stop, spin, wiggle, one step, full acceleration was just like unreal. Like there is nobody that has that stop, jump, cut, full acceleration thing that Barry Sanders had. Um, where guys would just look foolish trying to tackle Barry Sanders. Um, he just was on a completely different level in that way uh, than, than, than to this day. And um, every every highlight film on every carry, even the ones he lost yards on Keith, was entertaining. Yeah. And, that's and so part- that's, that's, the, that's the part where he's one of my non-favorites. It's not about, I mean, he's clearly, a, you know, on that, um, you know, greatest player of all time list but it was just the sheer entertainment value yeah he he was so fun just so and fun. he retired at age 30 yeah he got he well he played for the lions yeah right he carried a bad lions team to the playoffs over and over again they didn't have a quarterback they didn't really have a defense all they had was hand the ball off to barry and hope <laughs> And and That's he it too, right? and, and he carried them to the playoffs and the and at one point he was just like, you know, I'm not playing for you anymore. Mm. Well, <laughs> his last was, five years he had 1,883 yards, 1,500 yards, 1,553, 2,053, and his last season he he rushed for 1,493 yards. Yeah, and career wise he averaged 5.0 uh, per carry. That's currently the all-time uh, great per carry average and had over 3,000 yards receiving too. So he did it all. Yeah. Um, all right. So, and then my number one, um, Larry, Larry Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. I knew it. You didn't. <laughs> I didn't know. He, okay. He's on my just miss list. He, Larry Fitzgerald, um, Arizona, the Arizona Cardinal. Great. Probably the best player to, to play in the state of Arizona, um, for that team, um, All 16 years or 17, and yeah. just fantastic player, perfect professional, um, iron, and, man, iron, iron man. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't uh, miss and, games and uncoverable at times went 
many seasons where he was arguably the best player or the best receiver in the NFL and just played on some really, really terrible teams, Mm -hmm. but never, never complained about it, never had a problem. Everyone was always like, oh, he's coming up on free agency. He's going to leave there because they're terrible. He's going to go to a t- chance to where he's going to can win. He's like, no, he's too embedded in the community. Um, and he, he cares too much about the people of the town and city that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that he and his organization supports. And and he was like, I'm not going to go play somewhere else because I don't want to I don't want to be in another town. It's not that he didn't want to play for another team because. Arizona was bad most of the time, um, but he didn't want to be in another town. He didn't want to be away from Phoenix. He didn't want to be away from the people there. And he was just so humble and so awesome. And I had a chance to talk with him at the um, Richards uh, Sherman softball game. Um, and, you know, because he, he, he came up and played. And so I had a chance to talk with him after the game down on the field and, and, just the uh, the nicest guy. Like mm-hmm. there was a hundred people that wanted to talk to him and I, you know, from this little tiny site and, and he's like, no, he's going to give me the time, the equal time as anyone else. And, and I appreciated that as, you know, as the writer, but also just like, he was just such a cool, just amazing guy. So yeah, my favorite player. Um, that's not my favorite non Seahawk player. There you go. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about him, you know, at some point, if he could dress up for the Seahawks, that would be awesome. And I know how much you, you like him. Mm-hmm. So he was my number one guy on my uh, just missed list. And my, my second guy on my just missed list probably needed to be up higher. I've re- been reflecting on this a little bit was uh, running back Jim Brown. And it's way before, not way, way before my time, but it's, it's before my time. It's probably before almost every listener that we have, but I would recommend highly to, to go out and just look at some highlights of Jim Brown. He was a big, big guy, um, 6'2", 235 pounds. So he was bigger than John L. Williams, right? He's bigger than any running back Seattle's ever had. Uh, but he had the speed, so they didn't have 40 times back then that were clocked. But um, on film, he looks like about a 4'4", 5'40 guy. Um, breakaway speed, but he had the power and the balance that nobody else has as well. So he had the speed, the power, the balance, and he would truck you. Like he would look for contact. He would truck you. He made guys miss. He broke lots of tackles. He's the most physical running back that I've ever seen other than Marshawn Lynch and probably even more powerful than Lynch. Um, And he never missed a single game. And he was uh, invited to the Pro Bowl in every season that he played he's like Barry Sanders in that he retired early um and uh he's he's amazing he ended up with like two uh, 126 uh, touchdowns 12,312 yards when he finished running he owned all those records um and he only played nine years and um it's just kind of kind of crazy and um yeah I just He's a guy that I've come to appreciate over over the last 30 years of just watching films and listening to him. And um, and I, I appreciate guys from the era before my time that had a, a, a profound impact on the game. And that's why he's on my, my just missed list. 
cool. And he um, retired when he was 29. Like, that's just, that, that would be crazy. So, uh, um, I'll, we'll skip, because I had a couple uh, I've just missed, but let's go ahead and, and move to... Um, okay. Yeah, so Randy our, Moss was my other one. But. Yeah, oh, Randy Randy Moss was, was on mine. Um, my, it was all receivers. It was Randy Moss, Steve Smith, and then I included Tony Gonzalez. Uh, as a receiver, even though he was a tight end. but So we're doing, um, um, so we're going to skip our uh, top five underappreciated Seahawk players of all time. We're just going to go to our top, uh, we're going to we're gonna put together a team of mm-hmm. all-time Seahawk players that are unappreciated at each position. Do you want to start at, um, where do you want to start? I'll just start at quarterback, whatever. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you have them in any particular order i i can't I, remember if i do either i, I think I, I have offense and then defense i i drew mine out as as a formation so of where they're <laughs> <That's so. funny. laughs> well i'll start my my most underappreciated court and this is just my list i get it people are going to have different guys um my quarterback is david dave craig six one hundred and eighty eight pounds with about eight and a half inch hands i i don't know that to be a fact i just know it's true uh, like because he hands. holds the uh, the NFL record for fumbles uh, by like a, a very wide margin. But the, the cool thing about Dave Craig is that he was, um, he came in from Milton. What what was the college? I can't remember. Milton something in mm-hmm. Wisconsin, very small school. And, um, and initially, you know, he just, he didn't play his first uh, two or three years with, with Seattle. He was riding the bench um, when, um, Jim Zorn was still the quarterback and um, and transitioning uh, from not being the starter. And when Dave Craig took over in, in 83, the team just kind of took off to a whole different level. Part of that was Chuck Knox came in, the ground check. That was the year also that Kurt Warner was drafted. So we had a good running back. Um, and then uh, things started happening for Seattle at that point. This is the first time Seattle had tasted um, any sort of success. Uh, Dave Craig had a couple of years there in 83 and 84 uh, where we went to the playoffs. I think in 84, we made it to the uh, AFC championship game against the Oakland Raiders and lost that game. But the the game before that, we ended up going to Miami Mm -hmm. um, and traveling there. And at the end of that game, Dave Craig made this the most amazing throw to Steve Largent to kind of put that game away. And so uh, he's just one of my favorite guys. Just complete scrappy dog mentality, um, you know, for for a quarterback. Um, and he's probably, I would think, in on my list, he could very well be the second best quarterback in in franchise history, above Hasselbeck, just from the sheer longevity of his career and the guy could just throw touchdowns. I mean, just, he could just make stuff happen. Um, you know, he wasn't the most physically gifted guy in the world, but he just had a way of scrappiness of getting stuff done. So my, um, most underappreciated quarter was, is Hasselbeck because I think he gets a, a really bad rap these days. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk about, Oh, you know, he's just a system guy and, and, you know, wasn't very good. And he, at the, in the end, um, he struggled. I mean, after the, after his back injury, he really, um, his in pocket, his in pocket movement was not the same. His ball velocity was down and probably most importantly, his quick release, getting the ball out of his hand, um, and how fast it goes from, you know, 
when he's not, when the ball's not moving to out, um, his, his release got way longer and he really struggled to get the ball to people. But before that, there was three years in there where he was an elite player. Um, yes. and everyone wants to forget the three years where he was an elite player. And, uh, I, I just think that does, that does history a disservice. He was fantastic. Um, and on top of that, a tremendous leader, a guy that everyone on the team knew, respected, liked. Um, we want the ball. We're going to score. Yep. I mean, it takes balls to, to say that, you know, that's like, that's awesome. Especially when on the first play you throw a pick six. I know. Uh, <laughs> never lived that down. That's crazy. Um, but that's no, actually I, part I of the totally reason why that. I like him. Cause he was, yeah. he was, he was human. Um, yeah, exactly. he'd, make, he'd make jokes about being bald and, um, you know, he was, he was, he was a, he didn't care about like, I got to have this image of, you know, whatever. And he was just himself. And I, I really, he had the biggest dad image like (laughs) in, in the history of the NFL. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Running backs. I, I picked two, I put two on my list. Um, Sean Alexander and, and Chris Warren are, are on the list. Uh, I have, um, Chris Warren because most, you know, we, Seahawk history seems to jump from Kurt Warner to Sean Alexander. Mm-hmm. That's, and they that's forget exactly that right. There's a long era in the middle where it was the Chris Warren show. Um, and he was pretty damn good. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I had him on and there. Statistically, I, he's like this, you know, the third best running back or the second best that teams ever had. Yeah. So I really want, I, I wanted to go with Alexander because again, I think he gets a bad rap. Um, for, for, you know, how he played the last couple of years. But honestly, um, Chris Warren needs a lot more love. So he was there. And then I went with a fullback in John L. Williams, which mm. we already talked about. Yeah. Um, tight end. I put uh, Atula Mili as, as my tight end. Not the pick I had. I thought about it, though, because he just kept sticking around and kept... Yeah. Well, we're talking about unappreciated, not, not necessarily the best. I just, yeah. um, you know, cause I think that, um, John, whatchamacallit, uh, was probably the best, but yeah. Um, so I had Zach Miller. Yeah. Zach Miller is a good choice. Um, John Carlson's the guy I was thinking about. Yep. John Carlson's a good one too. Um, Zach Miller was never a receiving threat. But he, was he was with Oakland. He was with Oakland because teams didn't expect him. And so he'd like leak out and they were able to get him the ball occasionally, but he was, he passed blocked like a right tackle. You could line him up and give him the responsibility of the best pass rusher on the outside of any team. And he would shut him down and he's a tight end. He's not a right tackle. Um, yeah. And, uh, there's a couple different guys that, that played beside him at right tackle. Um, and they owe their reputation of being decent players entirely to Zach Miller, um, who played right next to them and did their job for them. Nice. So, uh, yeah, Zach Miller, my most underrated. Who do you have for wide receiver? Um, I have two, one on each side. Actually, I did, and, I I have, and I've got a slot guy too. Um, Brian Blades. Nice. Um, the guy who took over for Largent as the lead receiver. That's tough. And, right. and it, it is tough. And he played through a year or a, a stretch of just terrible Seahawk teams 
with terrible quarterback play, right? That that gap between you know at the end of Dave Craig until the second year of Hasselbeck, um, it was just it was just because you had the John John Kitna years. Yeah, I mean he was he was even like and, he, and Freeze was, Jeff Freeze and a couple yeah, of other guys. So I was thinking more of like the. Um, Stan Gilbaugh. Yeah. And, right. Um, oh, that, that's sort of right. Mediocre. Yeah. yeah. Beyond mediocre. That's just awful. Um, but yet he was still, he's still one of, you know, the, one of the top re- I think he's number two, um, receiver in team history. Yes. Despite ha- playing with some of the, on the, some of the worst teams and the worst quarterbacks in franchise history. Um, so he's on one side and the other side is Bobby Ingram. Um, nice. guy that, Never. I mean, one year he had um, over a hundred uh, receptions and and had all those yards. Really? It was over. It wasn't a hundred receptions. It was a thousand yards. Okay. Um, and so until recently, he was the, the most recent thousand yard receiver. But other than that, it was you know good stats, but nothing great. Right. But how many of those catches were on third down? Mm-hmm. It felt like every one of them, and I know statistically that's not possible, but it felt like. Every catch was a third down reception. That's the way it was drive. for me with Doug Baldwin. It just yeah. kind of felt that way. Yeah, my so, two, my two. Well, you had a slot guy. Who's your slot? Um, a guy that probably most of you have never heard of, Paul Scanzi. Wow, that goes clear <laughs> back to the University of Washington. <laughs> That's that goes way back. Little guy, kind of a short career. When did he play um, again? Was that in the eighties? It was. Yeah. Um. Uh, little guy, short, kind of a short career, but was the relief valve for Dave Craig in those th- early, for some reason. I thought we were gonna, you were gonna say Joe Gervais or something like that. No. <laughs> um, so my two guys were uh, Daryl Jackson on uh, the one. 2005 Super Bowl team. Daryl Jackson, mm-hmm. you know, the only hang about him was uh, some of the drops that he had on a couple of years, which turned out to be really why he ended up leaving and then he was injured and so forth. But when he was here, he was um, very effective as being the, the number one wide receiver, but he was, he was a small guy. He was only uh, six foot, maybe two Oh five type of thing. And then Doug, I put Doug Baldwin uh, mm-hmm. as underappreciated because um, it's, it's difficult. You know, Doug Baldwin's not going to go to a ton of pro bowls and all that kind of stuff, but what he did for the team and the attitude that he brought um, just kind of solidified the wide receiver room for Seattle for, you know, a number of years and being the undrafted guy coming in the same year as Richard Sherman and just having that chip and that whole thing. I think that um, over time, I believe that a guy like Doug Baldwin would be viewed more um, as being totally instrumental in, in some of those offensive wins and, and so forth. There was a couple of years where he was, you know, a top 15 receiver in the league. And I know that people are like, oh, really? And then, but you go look at the, at the stats, you go look at the film and the acrobatic catches. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of years where he was a legit player on, you know, not just for Seattle, but as looking at the league as a whole. It was very much underappreciated just how good he was. All right. Who do you got on the offensive line? Okay, um, so I went with um, Russell Okung at left yep, tackle. I got Ed, that. Edwin Bailey at left guard. I got that. Um, Robbie Tobik at center. I have that. Chris Gray at right guard. <laughs> nice. 
And I, I have, never came, I have Brian Millard in there. And I never came up with a right tackle because yeah, right I put two left like, tackles because I didn't put a right tackle. I just put Dwayne Brown. And the reason yeah. that I put Dwayne Brown is I just believe that after Walter Jones, we always want to compare everyone to that. And, mm-hmm. and even to this day, even 10 years after Walter Jones, um, you know, but Dwayne Brown is, is to me underappreciated because he does solidify that line. He is a great leader. You know, he brings a lot more to the game than just his play. And um, yeah. Yeah. Right tackle is just a, a void of talent. A, a on, void on of team. talent. It's just yeah. a, it's, it's I just agree. A, a desert. Of, I was waiting for you to say Jermaine or Fetty <laughs> because literally that's all there is. Right. No. Or, or Giacomici. Um, oh God, they were terrible. Right. What, what else is there? Like, um, you have to go clear back to like Steve August or something. You that's know. who it was going to be. Steve August from <laughs> 77 to 84. Exactly. Um, and even he was, he was steady at best and not great. Exactly. Um, and right, but that's, right. that's probably the best player. Um, yes. At the and he was drafted, I think in the had. second round, you know, so yeah. he had some good pedigree to him. All right. In your center, Robbie Toback, there's no question. This is a guy that's underappreciated. You know, he came in, um, he has a ton of, um, you know, I think his, I don't know that his, he played for Atlanta for a while. And then I think uh, Seattle primarily was Seattle. Um, but he was a guy that just rock steady, not a Pro Bowl level guy, but he was just below that. And he just gave you everything he had. He was one of those undersized guys at under 300 pounds and mm-hmm. you know, just did his job, you know, did his job, and, did his and job Super really Bowl. well. Super Bowl. And- quarterback he, he solidified a line Our that needed it because he, we had the the left side of the line was awesome the right side of the line was terrible and really what so are they we need, talking when he played that was what steve hutchinson yep and walter jones walter jones the and the right side i couldn't even tell you it was chris gray and a parade of different guys um uh at right tackle and chris gray was a guy the team was constantly trying to replace they kept drafting players. They kept signing players. They were trying to get rid of him. Um, and yet he has the team record for Iron Man, like the most consecutive games played, um, despite the fact that they kept trying to get rid of him. And ultimately, when you go back and, and, and actually start looking at it, I'm like, he was he was good on the right side at, at guard. He was steady. He wasn't dominant, like, you know, we're, what we're kind of used to at, at uh, you know, especially when he's look at, at Hutch on the other side, but he was just, you say it a lot, the, the best ability is availability, and he was always available, he always played, and they could move him to center, they could move him to right guard, or left guard, They could he could play anywhere, and he, was, yeah. and he played in every game. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts, isn't it? You know, the, there, there is a trend, like in these lists that we're building, that's... Um, quite a quite a substantial portion of a career that spent with Seattle, if not the entire career. And just the Iron Man um mentality of the players that we're talking about. Like mm-hmm. and that's where I go back to that availability thing. It's like if you're um not available, you're not gonna be on this list. You know? And um so this this list is for guys that are really difference makers and, and available and have been available. So defense, uh defense event, I'll start. Um Two guys, and they they played together on the, in the same era. Uh, Jeff Bryant and Jacob Green, um, both of them, like especially Jeff Bryant, I think is underappreciated because Jacob Green was on the other side. 
But yep. Jeff Bryant played his entire career with Seattle, like 11 seasons. Started damn near every game. So this is the the, the consistent uh, message. Damn near every game. Um, you know, this is before tackles were recorded and so forth. But he was um, the bigger of the two defensive ends. And he still ended up with 30, 63 sacks over over that period. And just a steady presence. You know, when you're playing all the time and you're not injured, you're really steady. That's what you had opposite of Jacob Green. And then Jacob Green, you know, he was the first premier kind of edge rusher defensive end that Seattle had, and he was very good at it. Ended up with 97 sacks, played his entire career except for one uh, couple games. He suited up for um, for uh, San Francisco before he retired and didn't, didn't end up playing. But so all those sacks came uh, with Seattle and um, just, you know, solid, solid guy. Yeah, um, I I put, you know, Jacob Green as one of mine because I think that, you know, the guy has 25 more sacks than anyone else in NF, or in, in Seahawks history. Yeah. And we wow. don't talk about him as being the dominant defensive end that he was. Um, and the other one I picked actually has the number two guy in terms of sacks in Seahawks history, and that would be Michael Sinclair. Wow. Um you know, here's an undrafted guy mm-hmm. that, um, you know, thought was undersized and, and had to fight for his playing time and then exploded. Um, yeah, he was and, on my um, he was on my top five underappreciated players of all time, but didn't make my defensive list. Yep. Sixteen and a half sacks in 1998 led the mm. NFL. Um, the year before that was 12. The year before that was 13. That's a three year stretch of being an absolutely dominant player. Um, and then after that, he was, that's when he, um, was diagnosed with, um, diabetes and his, just his uh, energy level and his ability to, uh, play the number of snaps drastically decreased. And, you know, his career kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, puttered out there at the end, but, um, there, like I said, there's some great sack years in there. And, and I just think that, yeah. again, he's a guy that we just don't talk about enough. Um, and should. Well, and again, he played in the doldrums of, of the nineties, you know, which yeah. is, you're going to get lost in there. Yeah. No, I had him, you know, in my, in my other list. Yeah. All right. So, so where, where are we at? Like, defensive tackle. Defensive um, tackle. Yeah. I had a couple. I, have a, I, I ended up with two guys that both kind of played primarily nose tackle. <laughs> yeah, me um, too. With Joe Nash. Yeah. Um, Joe and, Nash. Then, and Sam Adams. Yeah. And I had Brandon Meebane. And Brandon Meebane was, I I had him and I, then I, I crossed I totally get Sam Adams though And too. put Sam but, Adams on there. <laughs> yeah. He was on my short list. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Crazy. Interesting. Um, yeah. Joe Nash, dude. Talk about a lunch pail player. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is the definition of kind of a workman's lunch pail beer drinking kind of guy that you would want to meet in a bar and have a Seahawks conversation with. And at the end, you know that when you walk out of the bar with Joe Nash, he's going to protect you at all costs. Like that's the kind of guy Joe Nash was undersized guy. Um, I think he may have ended up being undrafted. I can't remember for sure. I think he was, um, he's a little undersized for a nose tackle, yeah. but yet was great at being a nose tackle. Yes, Totally. <laughs> Totally. And Brandon Meebane, you know, played seven or 10 years for the Seahawks and, um, was and, so and was a nice, dr- nice draft pick too. At the, at the time, I think we ended up picking him from California, Cal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like the that's like the second or third round guy. He was a third, was a third round selection. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I I was so sad to see him go. I mean, Me too. Um, I understood I understood it because the team was running into some salary cap problems and needed to pay um, their stars. But God, I was sad to see him go. It's linebacker. I've got three. I've got okay. KJ Wright because he's going to make everyone's underappreciated list. He should. And then uh, Keith Butler, who's a guy that's probably uh, nobody's ever heard of that's <laughs> listening to the show. Um, and then Chad Brown. Um, Keith Butler's a guy that, you know, before stats were kept on tackles is the problem that we're running into here. Uh, but Keith Butler was a machine. He was one of the first Seahawks to play linebacker, you know, so he goes way back. And um, I personally, you know, watched tons of games. You know, we had season tickets to the Seahawks until 89. And so I was able to watch, you know, all these old, old, older guys. Uh, and then Chad Brown came over from, I think it was Pittsburgh, Keith. Yep, Pittsburgh. He played like four years or five years at Pittsburgh, but he gave the vast majority of his prime to the Seattle Seahawks. And he is underappreciated, uh, just like a guy like Lofa Tatupu or whatever, um, where um, they just, it's just one of those things where I don't real I think people realize, you know, the quality and the level of play and performance that these guys are bringing in until they're gone. And you have a chance to kind of go back. And, and um, I, I, I think Chad Brown's an amazing player. Yeah. Um, absolutely. KJ Wright, you know, obvious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- those are, those are awesome. You mentioned Lofa Tutupu. He's my my middle linebacker. Wow. Um, and the one guy I think you forgot, but I didn't include KJ, even though I have been saying Julian Peterson. No, I have been saying from like I have been saying yeah. pretty much consistently um, since I don't know about 2013 that KJ Wright's one of the most under appreciated players in the entire NFL. Somehow he didn't make this team, and I uh, because I wanted to put. <laughs> I wanted to put Anthony Simmons in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, no, he was on my short list. Um, yeah. And I, I, I had to find when room he played, for him. Keith, you know, that is true. Because when he played, um, at you know, he had a like three or four year run there with the Seahawks where he was like the prototype linebacker at that position. Yeah. And he was he's then since been what forgotten. Bobby, Bobby Wagner is now. Super fast, tackling machine, just everywhere on the field just he's the guy um but it wasn't that it wasn't long bobby's been doing that you know since he was drafted um for simmons it was like three or four years but he was really good um only played six years though bad knee mm-hmm. ended his career early yeah but, no he was amazing in fact when he left it was like how do we replace that guy yeah you know and time just time goes on it's just crazy how we forget um, safety. I, I, I kind of combine my safeties and my defensive backs a little bit, just from an era standpoint, it's hard to kind of define some of the older guys. Uh, but my four are Cam Chancellor, Eugene Robinson, John Harris, and Terry Taylor. First round selection in 1984, Terry Taylor. Mm-hmm. So he ended up only playing five seasons, um, for the Seahawks and then went on to play for Detroit and Cleveland and so forth. Came back actually uh, for a season, but didn't really play too much uh, for Seattle. But uh, during the time that he was here, I thought he was, uh, he was very good. And 
under uh, appreciated, I think, um, for the, for the time that that he was here. No, I I, I like it. Um, yeah. I think and John that- Harris, by the way, was off the off the chart. Now he ended up primarily playing more free safety, um, and I kind of had him listed as as a as a cornerback. But if you go take a look at John Harris's stats, and he played at the same era as Dave Brown. And a lot of people don't know of either player, and it's a shame because yeah. John Harris, Dave Brown, and Kenny Easley were all together and played. And that backfield, especially in 1984, was one of the best defensive backfields in the history of, the, of NFL football. And it, it would compare to like the Oakland Raiders uh, defensive backfield. Um, during that same era, like they were talked about on, on the same level and um, with Lester Hayes and, and those sorts of guys. Um, just you look at the, at the interception stats that oh, one it's year, crazy. where you had, I think you had four players that had at least 12 interceptions and the returns for touchdowns. Yeah. It was just on, crazy. on that list. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fun, fun season to watch. So um, you mentioned Dave Brown. He's my, he's, he was my, he was the first person that got written down on paper when I was putting this list together. Yeah. Because you Um, don't want to forget Dave Brown. Yeah. He Um, deserves to be mentioned. He deserves to be mentioned a lot. Um, Just an absolutely great cornerback that Mm. people just don't remember. And Um, he played such a long time, you mm -hmm. know, it's just, uh, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. Yep. Um, and Eugene Robinson at mm-hmm. uh, there. Uh, I was tempted to put Kenny easily, but I'd already mentioned him. Mm-hmm. And I, there was another guy I wanted to mention, and it's Robert Blackman. Mm. Um, Interesting. And, yeah, I can see that. And so, uh, but it was, that's more of a, just a guy that I, I just really felt we needed to I, I get wanted to, in this yeah, conversation. Yeah, no, I, I think Blackman's a good choice there. The reason that I, I wanted to put Cam Chancellor is for a similar reason. In that, we always talk about Kenny Easley. And I think Cam Chancellor, over time, may end up getting pushed aside because Richard Sherman was here and Earl Thomas and so forth. And then there's Cam Chancellor, right? So I think Cam Chancellor needs to be on this list. Cam was a bigger part of the success of of the Legion of Boom era than I do think, than I think people realize. Like, there was like, yeah, it's like, you know, because Earl Thomas is, is... a multi-year all pro and Cam or and Richard Sherman was a multi-year all pro. Um, but yeah, Cam he's, Chancellor he's the KJ right of, of safety. Yeah, he, he really is. That, that's a great one. Um, my other cornerback, I went with Marcus Trufant. Yeah. Which I, I knew this he, is probably one of the few that I will disagree with you just a I little know, bit, but this is an underappreciated your list. I get it, but it's people who are underappreciated because, um, you know, Trufant played, he was a frustrating player to watch. A lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, he didn't have a lot of, uh, he, he didn't have the ball skills, right? He didn't have the number of interceptions. Did I ever and, tell you the Jimmy, uh, did I ever tell you the Jimmy Kennedy and Marcus Trufant story in the draft with my mm-hmm. dad? I got to tell no. you that story here. Okay. Um, but I, let me, why I included him. He is seventh in team history in interceptions. So this guy that supposedly hadn't that struggled with ball skills, 
And I get the last couple of years in Seattle after he, because he had a back injury and then he kind of sucked um, and they really needed to move him to move him to free safety because he would have done better there. But before that, he was a solid player and he had um, more interceptions than uh, Paul Moyer, than um, Robert Blackman, than Daryl Williams, Sean Springs. Um, right. I and mean, these are, these are players that, we think of as being great players um, for Seattle. And this guy that his reputation of being that he didn't have great ball skills had more interceptions than that. Yeah. Well, he didn't have great ball skills, but he had the interceptions. I will give you that. Um, but he did struggle with, you know, getting his head around and all that kind of stuff. I will, uh, but, but great Seahawk. I mean, he played for a long time here um, before he moved on. And, and uh, I, I get that. So let me tell you this little story. So uh, I'm over at my dad's house for the NFL draft. I can't remember the year Trufant was drafted. And um, we had a pretty decent pick. I think it, we were at pick 11 or 12 or something like that overall. 2003. In 2003. And um, there was a player out there, a defensive tackle from Penn, uh, Jimmy Kennedy. And all around the Seattle draft hub, if you will, all the, all the kind of draft Knicks um, were, were pining for Jimmy Kennedy to come in. Cause that was our, one of our largest needs was to have a defensive tackle at the time. And Jimmy Kennedy was like all world and he was going to be sitting there for us. And so was Marcus Trufant and, and a few other players. But <clears throat> my dad and I had convinced ourselves that Jimmy Kennedy was going to be the pick because we'd done all the research We'd done all the, you know, listened to all the pundits, all that kind of stuff. And so the draft comes along, we get to, we get to our pick and we're absolutely positive. It's Jimmy Kennedy. My dad's sitting, you know, in the back of the room in his easy chair and uh, the picks announced, you know, the Seahawks select Marcus Trufant, cornerback, you know, and my dad was so pissed off. Hi dad. Uh, that <laughs> he, flicked his shoe off his foot and the shoe like tumbled through the air across the living room towards the TV. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, it's all in slow motion and I'm thinking, Oh my God, that, that shoe is going to hit the TV and it's going to break the TV and we're not going to be able to watch the rest of the draft. And my dad's, you know, seething. Right. But I think he's realized what he did with his, with his shoe. Uh, luckily it came up just short of, of the TV, but uh, that moment will, will, always be between myself and my dad because it was it just in in encapsulated the, the frustration at that pick and and that's probably why i have that bias where i'm kind of like eh, marcus Trufant. so i just want to share that yeah i i just think that he's underappreciated because he he was a good cover guy um yeah there were a couple times a few times where he didn't get his head around but i think that um there was a a group of guys with Josh Wilson and, and uh, Kelly yeah. Jennings yeah, and that oh group yeah, that yeah. were, that were playing at the same time as him. Oh, and they were, they awful. were, they were far worse. Yes. And he just gets lumped into them. I think. Unfairly. Yeah. That Josh Wilson thing, that pick was just weird. And mm -hmm. B that Kelly Jennings thing, they hung with him for so long. I just don't even understand. And we can have that conversation at another time, but that was, yeah. that was, that was frustrating. Did so, you do a kicker and a punter? I didn't. Okay, I did. 
So let's I'll just go through mine really quick because it's it's fun. So my special teams kicker is Norm Johnson. Um, he's just one of those guys that that ended up having just an amazing career. A you long, know, long career, career lots of kicks, ever. played forever. Um, so good for Norm. And then Rick Tootin. Yep. You know, everyone's going to remember uh, the Canadian dude. You know, everyone <laughs> is going to remember the Australian everyone's dude. Remember- Everyone's going to remember the Canadian dude whose name I can't remember right now. But, but Putin no. Tootin, you know, you gotta, you gotta have the Putin Tootin, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where he just was an average punter, he was, but he played, he, great, he, he played, played 10 years or whatever for Seattle yeah. and just did the job. You know, it's one of those guys that you never really had to talk about kind of a mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so I would say underappreciated. Yeah. Um, and he like, you got to do kicker and punter. I know. And in my head, I go, well, it's going to be Rick Tootin and I don't know, probably Norm Johnson. Yeah, right. Or, <laughs> um, or, or Brown. What uh, Josh Brown was another, yeah, but, another one. Yeah, but he's not underappreciated. He's hated. Yeah, that's he's true. But he went on to have a tremendous career too. Both oh those yeah. Guys. He, he was, he was good here. He went on to had a, had a good career elsewhere. He was just, you know, this was the, um, you know, slave to the businessman and, and right. blah, blah, blah when he left Seattle. And it was right. like, yes. dude, you're, you're a kicker. Can right. you just kind of get over yourself? Well, and the other one was <laughs> Hauschka. You could put Hauschka on here too. But yeah. Yeah. So fun list, un- Keith. I didn't know if he's underappreciated because everyone is like, we missed Stephen Hauschka. Yeah, isn't that the truth? I'm just going to go back Hauschka. here and see if I missed anybody on my on my list. Um, I did have Richard Sherman in my in my personal top defensive Seahawk top defensive players of all time. He mm-hmm. was in my, he was in my list. Um, yeah, and had, Earl Thomas, just so it's out there. I don't want to think we're forgetting Earl Thomas. No. It, it just didn't make the, um, the underappreciated stuff and all that, all that kind of stuff. But Earl Thomas is a first ballot hall of fame yeah. safety. Who's arguably, you know, you're, he's, you're going to hear his name with guys like uh, Ed Reed and Ronnie Lott um, as the best safety of all time. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so my top five defensive players all time, and, and Keith, you just didn't make this list, but I did, so I'll just share it really quick. Cortez Kennedy, list. Bobby Wagner, Kenny Easley, Eugene Robinson, Richard Sherman, Just Missed, Dave Brown, Earl Thomas, Chad Brown, and then on offense, um, it was Russell Wilson, Walter Jones, Steve Largent, DK Metcalf, Marshawn Lynch. I put DK Metcalf at number four as top offensive players of all time. And he's had two seasons and that's kind of crazy, but I'm thinking he can get there. Well, it's not even almost that he can get there. It's like, he's already there. He just statistically has not put the numbers up to prove it yet. And I think that that is going to happen. So he is already after two seasons, number 14 on the team list of receiving yards. Yeah, I, I had no After idea. That's crazy. Two seasons ahead of Golden Tate, Jermaine Curse, Jimmy Graham, Paul Scanzi, who I mentioned earlier, um, Sean Dawkins, Daryl Turner, Christian wow. Fourier. Deep Heat Turner. Right? Um, Sidney Rice, which I guess he only played for a couple of years. Yeah, but, DK Metcalf um, destined to break every every receiving record in the history of the Seahawks if he can play, if he, if they keep him and, and so forth. In this era, 
you know, I noticed doing these things that um, a lot of the folks that we were talking about prior to like 2005 played their entire career with Seattle. Yep. Um, and since then, it's just harder and harder to keep players for a long period of time. So these lists will be interesting to like 25 years from now. It's like the guy's only played, you know, four years in his first four year contract and that was it. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the other looking at, at, um, at Matt, Kegley, he's already 14th. He's only had two years by the end of his, if he produces at the same level, he did mm-hmm. his first two years. And there's no reason to think that he won't exceed that um, greatly. But if he plays at the same level for the next two years, he will already be seventh ahead mm-hmm. of Joey Galloway. Yeah. So if, if Russell Wilson, it, it, using the same sort of logic, if Russell Wilson plays an additional nine years at a career average level, he will be statistically a, a top five quarterback and could get to number three in the in NFL history in touchdowns and, and quite a few other different categories. So he'll be in the same conversation as... Brett Favre, um, Dan Marino, LA, Marino, um, Drew Brees, and um, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. That's a pretty nice list. Mm-hmm. Those are all Hall of Fame guys. Yep. So, so that, I think that's interesting. Yeah. So um, yeah, fun. God, this was a fun, fun show. It's it's interesting going and digging back. So we were just talking about receiving yards, and I just want to go down the list. Uh, for in, in Seattle, Steve Largent, of course, number one. Brian Blades, I've talked about him earlier too. Number three on the list, um, all time in Seattle history, Doug Baldwin. Wow, I didn't know that. And then Daryl Jackson, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, is fourth. Tyler Lockett is fifth. Wow. Yeah, DK like, is going to be up there quickly, isn't he? Very quickly. Like I said, he, he, all, if he all he plays is his, is his rookie contract. And then leaves for four years. Mm, um, I would ar- hate that. He, he'll already be seventh um, above Joey Galloway, Corin Robinson, Dion Branch. Corin uh, Robinson was the most um, frustrating player to ever play for, in a Seahawks uniform, other than the tight end guy from Washington. Yep. University of Washington. Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens. They both had similar issues. Yep. Um, um, Oren Robinson had so much talent. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He was he, like, we drafted him like number nine overall, yeah. I believe he could have been, um, he could have been Randy Moss. He, you know, he was similar to a player that, uh, the Portland trailblazers drafted that had similar issues. Um, drugs, alcohol behavior type stuff. I can't remember his name, but he had, he was, his upside was so high and just, Fell short, you know, and it's it's a tough it's a tough deal to watch that happen in you know in real time. But um, yep. so, what did you think about our list? Think it was I a good it. show. It was fun. This was we should do this more often with um, come up with different criteria because I I agree. We yeah. we came up with that we were going to do this show this week, and literally, I sat down. I that day I couldn't, you know, because normally I. I let these things kind of, you know, fester in my mind a little bit before I sit down and write stuff out. Uh, that day, I was so excited about doing this that I was like writing down players. Just give me some names that are out there. And um, yeah, fun. I yeah. I had to wait a little bit. I had some stuff uh, that I was I was working on, but um, yeah, the last uh, two days I've spent 
with a lot of a lot of time kind of thinking about this and yeah so it's it's a fun show it's a lot of uh names that uh folks haven't had a chance to to look at or watch i would suggest especially like the the um the the big time pass catchers and and running backs that are on our list go out and watch some highlights of of those guys because they're super fun um walter payton uh jim brown um, Barry Sanders. Like if, we didn't if mention, you've never watched we didn't mention him, but add Gail Sayers to the list. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So if you're looking at, at the all time greats, um, was there any name that you came across that didn't get mentioned in the show that is, was just like the most random, like, Hey, I remember that. And, but I wouldn't have, if I hadn't done the research. Oh my goodness. Also, we did an underrated show without mentioning Max Strong. That's fine. Well, I, I did mention say, Max Strong before we recorded. Yeah, that 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 was a serious mistake by us. <laughs> um, but but when we when we were going to press record, you said, "But what what can we sh- show that Max Strong actually did?" And I was like, "Well, he was the Iron Man guy. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that pretty much played every game, and he could yep. block anybody." And yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't have a name in particular. I mean, we mentioned Steve August. I mean, that goes kind of in the way back machine. John Yarno was a great <laughs> cor- uh, was a great center uh, from from yesterday, you know, that played for um, mm-hmm. Chuck Knox. So he was a perfect Chuck Knox guy. Um, in fact, I, and Reggie McKenzie, you know, those guys That's a good um, that, that come in for like two or three years. John Randall was a guy that we got at the tail end of his career, but he was such an animal, like literally an animal. So when he, when they interviewed him, you know, and this is back in the day when there's no internet or anything like that. So you watch these things that on the six o'clock news and the sports section for them, they're like 35 seconds or whatever. And you could just see that John Randall's like a spitting, um, animalistic kind of Tasmanian devil type character, right? Just, and it plays out that way on the field. So Characters like that are always kind of interesting and fun to try to figure out, you know. Uh, random name that I came across that I was like, oh, yeah. Like, it never would have occurred to me that, that, that like, I could not have remembered that this player existed until I came across it. Ben Obumanu. Oh, wow. Yeah. Five years in there, um, right up until he was still on the team in, you know, 2012. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. He was there. He, he, he left right before the Super Bowl run. But um, there through the from the end of, of um, the last few have, years of Mike Holmgren. Did he have he, any any catches? He was um, a wide receiver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was a special teams guy. Yeah. <laughs> he had a um, 153 receptions for twelve hundred and nine yards in five years. So we'll have to do a show sometime where we. um we do the top five list of really, really good, famous players that ended up on the Seahawks at one time or another. <laughs> like Gary like Rice. Carl, El- <laughs> Carl Eller or uh-huh. Franco Harris. What about Benny Blades? Benny Blades, the uh, corner, cornerback. Never, he, was a, he was a safety. Um, or safety, yeah. He, but he, he, Brian Blades' brother, yeah. signed with Seattle um, and was like, top level um at the time and then came to seattle never played it down yeah wow (laughs) dwight feeney yeah for like three weeks yeah edrin james 
Yeah, he had nothing left. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I mean, just names, just like, you know, yeah, oh, that guy. Yeah, well, he really didn't do anything. We just got him, got him too late. He was just camp fodder by that, by that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Antoine Winfield. Yeah. His son is. See, I wanted to draft his son. I talked about Absolutely. him a lot pre-draft, and he ended up being yep. a player for uh, Tampa. So mm-hmm. I want that pick. I really do because <laughs> I knew I knew that I just watched that guy and watched him interview. And it's just one of those things where you just realize that he's going to be a player and he got passed over in the draft pretty good and ended up being a player. Yeah. Fun. All right. Next week. Oh, I forgot to tell you next week. Oh, we've got our, um, Jajor brothers back on to, uh, I believe we're doing an NFC roundup, um, show. Uh, to talk about the offseason from our uh, NFC West rivals um, and find out what they've done, uh, how we're going to compare to those guys, and then talk about the um, um, Sports on Tap websites and all their affiliates and um, how they blend culture and sports um, into their websites. And they're pretty interesting. So we'll have a good conversation there. And they are on next week. So anything else, Keith? We'll get out of here. No, let's get out of here. All right. Good show. Find, find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook. Seahawksplaybook.com, which has been completely revamped. Go check it out. It has all the podcasts and a whole bunch of other stuff. And uh, find us on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Phil is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.